got a new album out WJLP the album is called WJLP is out of this world and this song is it came from beyond the moon they gave us permission to play this song on this episode of Monster Kid Radio the podcast devoted to the classic and sometimes not so classic genre cinema of yesteryear I'm your writer host producer Derek M. Cook welcome to episode 317 this time around we have some returning guests some friends of mine they have been on the show individually they have been on the show together they are director christopher r mim and master mim monster maker mitch gonzalez i've got him here to talk about well what's going on in the Mimiverse? that's the shared cinematic universe that contains not one not two not five but over 10 movies all directed by Christopher R. Mim, each one in the style of the classic B-movies, science fiction films, horror films, totally retro, totally cool, and we're going to be talking about what's going on with the Mimiverse and talking a little bit about the upcoming movie that is currently in production right now. It's called Demon with the Atomic Brain. Chris is going to tell us all about it, well, as much as he can without spoiling the thing. Mitch is going to tell us about what he did to bring the monsters to life in this one. Tell us a little bit about the monsters, but again, no spoilers. If you haven't seen any of the other films of the Mimiverse, however, we may spoil a bit here and there about the previous films. I tend to do that when I get excited. Well, you'll hear about that later. Anyway, that's coming up. But first, we have some feedback. We have a message from Joe Iden from the Fandom Radio Podcast. Hello, Derek. Joe Iden here just commenting on your last podcast. First of all, right off the bat, apologies on my part for getting the actors Hall and Hull confused when you were talking about the ape man. That's what I get for commenting on a movie without seeing it. <laughs> you know, my fault. Sorry about that. Thanks for straightening me out. Uh, you know, Beast of Hollow Mountain, that is one that I've seen back in the day when I was a kid once or twice and not really caring for it. I just saw it recently. I think Turner Classic ran it a while ago. I'm going back a few years. And I had it on my DVR for a long time. And honest to God, I think I might have deleted it without actually watching it. I just didn't really care for it. Like you guys mentioned, the story is engaging even without the monster, I think. I think you're right on that. But, you know, the animation of the monster is just not that good. And I think if you compare it to other stuff that was coming out around the same time, even when we were kids, when I was a kid anyway, I knew there was better stop motion out there than this. Okay? And what really kills it for me is when they're showing the monster's feet walking, and it's kind of like a guy wearing, like, monster boots. Or, you know, for all we know, it could be a guy wearing monster boots on his fingers. Who knows, you know? But, yeah, it just doesn't work. And, And... you know, good performances by the actors, as I said, it's pretty engaging, but it seems like the monster is removed, is if, like, the way it's shot, the way it's matted together, I guess, or the way it's um, superimposed together, it just, it still looks like the monster's not really there. We don't get a performance like we would if it was Harryhausen. All of Harryhausen's creatures gave us, not only did they give us the monsters, we got a performance, okay? These were engaging characters within the movie, you know? And we just don't get that with Beast. That said, I really did enjoy the new Mystery Science Theater 3000 version of Beast of Hollow Mountain. I actually didn't watch that yet. I listened to your show, and then I went back and watched Beast of Hollow Mountain. I watched it, the new Mystery Science Theater version of it, and I totally enjoyed it. 
I like the new Mystery Science Theater. I really do. I think it's just as engaging as it's ever been. It's just as fun as it's ever been. I think it's just as funny. Do all the jokes land? No, they don't. But a lot of them do. And there's a lot of jokes in there that only Monster Kids might get. They maintain that because that was something that they always did. You know, I know people are hot and cold on Mystery Science Theater. I'm a huge fan of it because I think it's a brilliant concept. And I'm so glad there's this new season. And I understand, based on the Kickstarter campaign they had, that there's actually going to be there's another season already planned. I find it just as good as the other stuff. You know, the spark may not be there, but the igniter that made that spark is there. It's still there. And there's still something good because all the original creators, they're all still involved. I would like to see them go further. I would love to see Mystery Science Theater riff Star Wars. Or I would love to see them riff Jaws. You know, if I'm Spielberg or Lucas, I would definitely let them do that. You know what I mean? Definitely. I would consider that an honor that you made it to Mystery Science Theater, you know? But who knows? Maybe someday we will. But I do thoroughly enjoy this new season. And um, I think as a fan of these films, I've been a fan of these films just like you and everybody listening since I've been a little kid. I kind of feel like I've earned the right to make fun of them, if that makes sense to you. That's what I like about it. I mean, if you've never seen some of the past episodes, uh, my favorite episode of Mystery Science Theater is not a science fiction or a horror movie. It's a film called um, I Accuse My Parents. And I, it's like a cautionary 50s tale about a teenager. I absolutely think that's the funniest one. That's my favorite. Yeah, if you haven't checked out the new season, I would check it out. I think it's, we're getting a better class of movies, which is sometimes good, sometimes bad. You know, we got The Land of Time Forgot is in there. Reptilicus is in there, which I haven't seen yet. Um, the Time Traveler's in there. Star Crash is in there. Um, there's even a Rock Hudson movie in there somewhere. So I, I haven't seen all of them yet, but I would definitely recommend the new season. I'm a, I'm a big fan of Mystery Science Theater, and I understand why people aren't, and I understand why people are hot and cold on it. But you should do a show on Mystery Science Theater, Derek. That'd be a great show. So anyway, another great episode, and keep them coming, man, because you got a big fan in northeastern Pennsylvania here, and I will keep listening. Take care. Bye. All right. Lots to unpack here. First of all, yeah, no worries about the Henry Hall versus Henry Hall thing. No, no worries. Uh, Henry Hall, Werewolf of London, very important to us Monster Kids. First universal werewolf film, werewolf character was played by him. Henry Hall was in The Eight Man, did a bunch of silent films. Still don't know enough about him to really talk too much about him. But no, no worries there. All right. Beast of Hollow Mountain. The first time I saw it is when it was on TCM, on Turner Classic Movies. I DVR'd it and then watched it on a weekend afternoon, which seems to be the best time to watch some of these stop-motion monster movies. It just feels right to do it that way. I will agree with you 100%. Ray Harryhausen's Creatures, they gave a performance. And it's very rare to find a non-Harryhausen film in which that happens. Willis O'Brien, certainly, with King Kong and Son of Kong, Mighty Joe Young, and I guess Harry Harryhausen was involved in that too, but still, I can't think of any other stop-motion guys who really achieved that Harryhausen level, that O'Brien level, really, when O'Brien was given the time to do what he needed to do. I'm probably blanking on a handful of them right now, but those are the two. What do you think? Stop motion. Those are the two. So the people that were involved with Beast of Hollow Mountain, certainly not Harryhausen. I think the Beast of Hollow Mountain's strength really lies within the non-monster story. The monster stuff seems tacked on. And while I do appreciate it, yeah, it, it does feel removed from everything, not just in terms of the story, but I think you nailed it in terms of actually being there with the characters, with the cowboys and the kid and everything else going on. MST3K. 
All right. I don't know if I'm ready to open up that can of worms here. I know, <laughs> I know it's got a lot of fans, and I go back and forth on it. I go hot and cold on it. I find it incredibly well-written, and I find it, well, there's no doubt about it. It's creative, and it's a way to get some of these movies that we love into the public consciousness in a way that this wouldn't have happened. I mean, Manos, The Hands of Fate being the prime example here. Who would have even heard of Manos if not for MST3K? That said, I'm not a big fan of just making fun of films for the sake of making fun of films. I'm such a big fan of all of these movies and the journey that I've been on as a genre film fan has taken me from the place in which I used to say, I know this movie's terrible, but I love it anyway to, I just love the movie. I, I try to look at the positive in all of these films and making fun of them does seem a tiny bit disrespectful, but I'd like to believe that it comes from a fan ish place when it comes to MST3K. Here's the biggest issue I have with MST3K. It's just, here's the thing. I'm glad that it's out there and people enjoy it. And I know, for example, people like Scott Morris, regular guest here on the show, he would not have discovered a handful of these movies, a number of these movies, if not for MST3K. So that's awesome. My concern is, and I've seen this happen more often than not since I'm introducing movies on a semi-regular basis around here, is that for whatever reason, it seems to have created what we sometimes call the MST3K effect, where at a movie theater, at a movie that I've paid money to or I've devoted my time to go see, people in the audience think that, well, hey, you know, those two robots and that one guy make fun of the movie. I'm going to go ahead and do it as well. And it's just not cool, man. One, they're not professionals. They're not comedians. Two, that's not why we go to the movies most of the time. Yeah, I did go see the Rift Tracks version of Mothra, and I had a few chuckles here and there, but I think at that point, kind of laughing along and making a couple of comments along that that was part of the show. If I had gone to a regular screening of Mothra and that happened with the audience kind of laughing and making fun of, that would have been a problem for me. When I went to go see the first Star Wars prequel, Phantom Menace, I saw it opening night with a whole bunch of people and the guy right next to me for the first 45 minutes hour of the film was just going off making comments here and there. Now, granted, Phantom Menace is probably not the best Star Wars film out there, but I had just finally told him, it's like, dude, <laughs> can you keep it down? His response was, well, I paid for the movie to be here. It's like, well, so did I, but I didn't pay to hear you. And he stopped after that. And actually after the movie came up and apologized. So that was cool. Do I want to see them take on things like Jaws or Star Wars? Ah, uh, you know, it, it isn't that kind of what Rift Tracks does. I, I don't know. Have they taken on some of those bigger movies like that? I'm not, I'm not sure. I, I don't typically go to Rift Tracks. A few times I have gone to see Rift Tracks in the theater. Like I said, it was Mothra. I also went to see the Plan 9 from Outer Space because it was in color, and I wanted to see Bela Lugosi in color on the big screen. But I don't think I've been to very many Rift Tracks presentations now that I think about it. Somebody like Scott or Tracy or, or you or some other big fan of what the MST3K cats do would have a better idea than I would. As for an episode based on MST3K, I've thought about it. And I've talked a little bit about it with people as well. And I know who I would probably grab to be on the show, or at least put the invite out to to begin with. I think it could turn into a pretty big and interesting roundtable discussion. Private conversations that I've had with people like Scott have really opened my eyes to 
where he comes from when it comes to MST3K and what it's done for him, what it means for him. But I could also see it turning into a somewhat negative experience because I know there are a lot of people out there that have a knee-jerk, how dare they make fun of these movies reaction to Mystery Science Theater 3000. I know that when the MST3K, the movie, hit and they did This Island Earth, I was livid. I was working at a movie theater at the time. They brought it in, and I was furious, and I told everybody there how ridiculous it was. was kind of frowned upon and was asked not to really say too much because I was mad. This Island Earth, it's a classic. And when MST3K was on the Sci-Fi Channel, they were given a little bit more money, and they did things like Revenge of the Creature. It's Revenge of the Creature for crying out loud. How dare you? But, you know... I get it. They're movies, and sometimes you just have to relax to quote the theme song. That is the theme song, right? I've watched the first episode of the revival of MST3K. I like Felicia Day. I like Patton Oswalt, especially his writing. Jonah Ray seems to have what it takes, and of course, you've got the robots there, and you know it's kind of comforting to have them there. I did like the cameo that we had with like Will Wheaton and Aaron Gray. That was nice. Mm, I don't know. It doesn't feel the same to me, but I think for me, when I was really into MST3K, it's when it was early in its run and it was Joel front and center. If I have to pick between Joel and Mike, well, and now Jonah, I would still go to Joel. I just found his sense of timing, his delivery, his pacing, and his wit to be better than what we got with Mike. And, and I know Mike was a writer on the show while Joel was there. So it's not like they brought in an outsider and he actually wrote a lot of the jokes. It's just something about the delivery and the persona. I, I appreciated more with Joel at the time. I admittedly have not gone back to watch a lot of old MST3K. I actually have picked up a handful of the discs, but I'll tell you the reason I own them is because I like the documentaries that come with them. I picked up the MST3K, the movie Blu-ray, not because I want to watch them lampoon this island earth, because how dare they, but because I wanted the documentaries on the Blu-ray. Daniel Griffith is a fantastic documentarian, and he's been doing so many of these awesome little documentaries, even if they're run like maybe 10, 15 minutes long, as special features on the discs, I want to snap them up and add them to my collection. I don't know. Listeners, what do you think? Should we do an MST3K episode? A pro versus con? A roundtable? A favorite moments? Something. I don't want to be too negative. Like I said in last week's episode, I do try to keep things a little bit more on the positive side of things and talk about why we like these things, but you know, we can get kind of critical too if need be. So what do you think? Drop me an email at monsterkidradio at gmail.com or you can call in and leave me a voicemail at 503-479-5657. That's 503-4795-MKR. Maybe down the line we'll do an MST3K episode. I'll put that decision in your hands. All right. feel like I kind of rambled there a little bit. Sorry about that. You're not here to listen to me babble on. You're here to hear. The Mitch and Mim connection, the men behind the monsters of the Mimiverse. We're going to get into that right after this. Today was like any other. The hum of daily activity until Reptilicus. A beast born 50 million years out of time, spreading terror in its path, destruction in its wake, towering over the cities of the world. Reptilicus. Invincible, indestructible. Reptilicus. In color from American International. Even after you see it, you won't believe it. Reptilicus. 
I am Dr. Lee Cushing. Welcome to my Chamber of Horrors. Dr. Cushing's Chamber of Horrors is a serialized monster rally novel in the tradition of the classic Universal and Hammer horror films. It's written by Stephen D. Sullivan, the award-winning author of White Zombie, Daikaiju Attack, Manos, The Hands of Fate, and the original chill role-playing game. My goal is to recreate the thrills of the Monster vs. Monster films that we all love. We'll have vampires, werewolves, mummies, psychic twins, and scheming madmen. And that's just in the first storyline. Now you can get Dr. Cushing's Chamber of Horrors and other monster stories sent directly to your email for as little as a dollar a month. For just two dollars, you'll get all the chapters in advance, plus bonus stories and other perks. Sign up now at CushingHorrors.com or visit SDSullivan.com for a Patreon link. I do hope you've enjoyed your visit. Please come again. And remember, the chamber is always waiting for its next victim. American International presents The Land That Time Forgot, an astounding motion picture based on the book by Edgar Rice Burroughs. Travel through an underwater passage and discover an awesome prehistoric world. Fight for your life against the terrifying creatures of a lost continent. It's action, danger, and adventure on an epic scale. The land that time forgot. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Hi, this is Joel Hodson, the creator of Mystery Science Theater 3000. You're listening to Monster Kid Radio, why don't you? This is Count Vlad, but you may recognize me by my more familiar name, Count Dracula. And I'm here to offer you a friendly warning. Derek and his guests often get excited, and occasionally this results in revealing key plot points of the movies they're discussing. In your parlance, you might call these revelations spoilers. You know how the children of the night, ah, I mean monster kids, can get sometimes. So consider yourself warned, and don't come begging to me to kill them for their transgressions afterward. I have more pressing issues to take care of, like that pesky Van Helsing. Monster Kid Radio listeners, I have not had these two people on the show at the same time since the very beginning of Monster Kid Radio. I actually went back and re-listened to episodes three and four just so I could re-familiarize myself with the Mitch and Mim combination, the tag team that makes the amazing monster movies that I love. Christopher R. Mim, Mitch Gonzalez, welcome back to Monster Kid Radio. Hello. Hey, thanks for having us again. See, I'm trying to be all hype and excited, and you're like, hello. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I said, as soon as I said it, I was like, I should probably say more. Hello. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be on Monster Kid Radio. I love Monster Kid Radio, and you should too. <laughs> I've had Mitch on the show a couple of times by himself, and I've had Chris on the show by himself once. We need to correct that later this year, probably. But we've got you both back on, and i got to talk about the most recent movie and the movie that's coming up. But the last time we had you on, it was to promote The Giant Spider. We've had, what, two movies since then? Three movies since then? Three movies since then. Uh, it was the late-night double feature, Danny Johnson Saves the World, and Where Skeeto Nazi Hunter. And now we're working on this new one. 
I think it could probably be said even too, the late night double feature is actually two separate stories. So we've got like four stories worth of monsters to talk about here. And Mitch, you were involved in all of them, weren't you? Yes, that's correct. Can you give us a rundown, like a greatest hits of the different monsters in these different movies you made for him? Sure. In the double feature, we had X, the fiend from outer space. We had a, uh, some witch and some other stuff in a wall people. Danny Johnson, we had a robot that I built. and in Still one of my favorite designs of anything you've done, Mitch. The robot? That robot is fantastic. I had fun building it. It was kind of out of my comfort zone, but it was fun to do. <laughs> I definitely want to do more robots. So, And actually, I sketched one the other day. <laughs> and Wereskito, we did the, the Wereskito and various other monsters. I won't spoil anything, but there's other other uh, critters in the movie as well. Yeah, no spoilers, no spoilers. no spoilers. And then, of course, we've got one coming up in Demon with the Atomic Brain. I'm assuming there is a, I don't know, a demon with an atomic brain? Perhaps. I don't want to give too much away because I'm, I'm really excited about this movie and, and everything we're doing and how it's coming together is head and shoulders above anything I was sort of envisioning. You know, we just shot some stuff last weekend with Mitch doing some some prosthetic work and some makeup work and, and you know, really just I'm picturing something and then what we're getting is 10 times better. Really cool stuff. Really classic looking things and, and hair and makeup that evoke certain... I. I'm just excited. I really can't even articulate it. I'm, I'm being honest. It's, it's coming together so well, and we're all having a really, really good time making it. And I think this one's going to be fantastic. And the premise is just a solid sci-fi premise, but it's classic all the way. And I would say there's not a monster, but many things in this movie. So there's, uh, it, it's probably the most work I've done on a single film. So I've been kind of incrementally doing it. I, I do this, I do a piece here and something there. And so kind of along uh, the line as, as the production proceeds, I'm, I'm kind of keeping up with it, doing things. So and I think there's some other special effects and things that are being done as well in parallel, but I, I don't think I'll go into too much more of that, but it's a big uh, production. It's rather ambitious, let's say yeah. that, because <laughs> the basic premise of the of the movie is that there's this machine that, that kind of goes nuts, and there's this explosion that causes a tear in the fabric of space and time that sort of creates an, an ever-expanding bubble of fractured space-time. And within this bubble are these alternate realities that this team of people have to fight through each one to get back to the machine and basically shut it off. And once this thing happens, all hell kind of breaks loose. And that's why we have so many things, is that there are so many realities that they go through, and every one of them is distinctly different. And each one has its own look and feel and monsters and all these things. It's, it's grander in scope than some of my other films. And I think that's part of what's so fun about it is that it is, I mean, it's, it's, it's almost like a quote unquote big budget Mimiverse film, which is uh, kind of a oxymoron. Well, I was going to ask you about that. You said Mimiverse film, and I, I want to make sure this movie, it is set in the Mimiverse. Yes. Yes. To date, uh, all the movies are linked. Uh, for people who maybe are new to this and haven't heard about my films, uh, you know, all of my movies are linked in the same universe, uh, collectively known as the Mimiverse. And all the main movies, and I say the main movies, and I'll, I'll explain that in a second, but all the main movies are connected, and this one is connected as well. And all of them are mostly connected in very subtle ways. It's not always something big. It may just be a character. It may just be a, a location mm -hmm. that links them together. They're all standalone. You can watch anyone at any time and you won't be lost. But if you see them all, you start catching all the connections. And I think it kind of broadens people's appreciation of it. This one fits squarely uh, in with the other ones. Uh, although we did 
get a whole bunch of new people involved in this one just to expand the empire a little bit, shall we say. <laughs> there is one film that really isn't particularly specifically part of the quote-unquote films of the Mimiverse, but it's an offshoot, and that's the the Monster of Phantom Lake, the musical we just put out. We took my first film, The Monster of Phantom Lake, and made it into a stage musical. And we filmed it, you know, we did it, and we filmed it, and, and we put out a performance DVD of it. But that's technically not part of the Mimiverse. It's just kind of a fun offshoot. Mitch, were you involved in the production of the musical at all? Not really. Uh, Ruby Galanati, she uh, asked me to help her with the costume, the monster costume. So okay. I did get a chance to help go back to square one, basically, and, and help, uh, I guess, recreate the, the monster of Phantom Lake for the musical. So I, I did very little on it, but I did help her a little bit, and she but she did most of the work on that. Okay. Well, props to Ruby. I just wanted to know if you had your hands on the monster in some way, because I can't imagine a MIM production these days without you being involved with the monster in some way. I know you weren't there from the beginning, but you were like the, the last piece, man. You were the last puzzle piece MIM needed, you know? It's, it's true, and you can see. You can see this sort of quantum leap in quality that comes the moment Mitch gets involved. I'm not saying my early monsters were horrible, uh, but you can just see that we go from paper mache monsters and stuff that we cobbled together in the basement uh, to suddenly these fully realized, some iconic looking creatures. I mean, that's one of the, the greatest things about adding Mitch to this. And once he came on board, he he started acting very much like a sounding board for my ideas. And now, whenever we start talking about or thinking about whatever movie's next, it's like, well, I have to talk to Mitch. I can't just go off and say, I'm doing this. And I was like, I got to talk to Mitch. I got to see what's possible. I want his input. I want to see what he thinks. Uh, and, and whenever a monster starts being creative for a film, it's always a back and forth. But ultimately, it's like it doesn't get done without Mitch's input. I just, I, I, I won't do it. It's like, I have to talk to Mitch. It's part of the process. You know, for as much as it is the Mimiverse, a lot of the look and feel of it is the Mitchiverse, really. Oh, no, thanks, man. It's 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 a collaboration between you and me and a bunch of other people, too. So, uh, I mean, there's a lot of hands in, in the pot here. So The humility, the modesty here. I, lo- <laughs> I love you, man. That's all I'm saying, you, man. man. <laughs> I love you, man. All right, let's bring this Mitch Appreciation Hour to a close here. Let's move on. Uh, no, no, no. no. <laughs> Chris is right, though. Just have fun. As- as an audience member, as a viewer and a fan of the Mimiverse, I agree with Chris. I think when you came on, Mitch, the monsters definitely took a step up. I mean, I still like the monster Phantom Lake. I still like the bat. You know, I still like all the other monsters. But if I could pick one or two of the monsters from the Mimiverse to have as an action figure, it'd be the ones that you've designed. Well, thank yep. you. Thank you. And I think I've been on you guys. I want the X, the fiend from Beyond Space. I want that as an action figure so bad, and I don't know how to make it happen. But I wish I could figure out a way to make action figures of the monsters seriously or even just cool little like you know the the vinyl pop figures whatever something yeah it's best described that before mitch came along it was sort of like the you know the monsters you would see on the outer limits it it maybe wasn't quite as good because you're working on a tv budget mitch comes along and suddenly we got the metal luna mutant you know what i'm saying (laughs) like it's a jump from from just sort of like okay tv budget to okay now we got a feature budget and that's just the the expansion of the quality of going from what we did to Mitch coming along and suddenly we got these great looking monsters and I don't think there's a misfire yet honestly 
So Mitch has just been compared to Millicent Patrick. Uh, how do you feel about that? <laughs> Not even close. I can't, I can't get to that point. And, and to be honest, I'm a big fan of the Outer Limits monsters. But but thank you guys. I, I do appreciate. I'm not it. saying they're. I'm not saying they're bad. <laughs> I know, uh, they're I know. I, they're as iconic as anything else. Uh, but I just you can you can see where the the budget was spent on on some mm-hmm. of these you know big budget films. Sure. No, I, I agree. But it's just like I said, it's, it's a lot of fun to do, and uh, I've been building these things in my room. You know, wow. since I can remember, so it's just kind of fun. Actually, they're being used for something. Before, I'd make something and just sit on my shelf, no one ever see it. Now, uh, you know, it's out there for people to enjoy, and that makes me happy. These guys are the real deal, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, in fact, go back if you haven't listened to and listened to it in a while or have never heard it. Go back to episode four in particular because Mitch will talk about his background watching Creature Feature growing up, and even an encounter with Ray Harryhausen. So go check that out. It's in the archives at MonsterKidRadio.net or our Libsyn Backbone site. So go check that out to hear about that Mitch is the real deal Mim's the real deal I mean he's been making these movies loving these movies for as long as I've known him and even before then absolutely I think making the movies has just made my appreciation for the classics that much deeper honestly I, I agree as well absolutely you start pulling from different references for these movies right uh, like I said I went back and I listened to this interview that I did with you guys talking about the giant spider and we just went on a tangent about big bug monster movies and how much we appreciate those and, and you guys expressed your love and respect for those movies you know, the, the intricacies and, and the way the monsters were portrayed and the design of the beasts so I, I can't help but imagine that when you do something like we're scared to a Nazi hunter or a late night double feature when you start looking for reference materials you just find those little things that you never saw before you never noticed before right. until you went to go make a movie specifically with the giant spider uh, we threw this thing in where uh, before the spider attacks we throw in this close-up of its face uh, and it was this puppet that we created, or I should say we, that Mitch created, uh, this like sort of goofy puppet face of the spider that was a direct homage to the black scorpion. This was some of the shorthand that sort of Mitch and I have is that we talked about that and it was like, I think I remember bringing it up and he's like, yeah, like in the black scorpion. I'm like, yeah, exactly. Like in the black scorpion, of course. Uh, and we did that and it worked fantastically. But again, it was that going back to those classics and trying to draw some inspiration from it uh, and expand upon it and make it our own. Exactly. It, it, it is that shorthand where we're able to say something. We, we reference a movie and we both know exactly what the other's thinking. So it, it is, it is a nice shorthand. You mentioned earlier that one of the first things you do when you start putting together a new idea for a movie is you get a hold of Mitch. Yes. I'm fascinated by your creation process, Chris, because a lot of times you'll say that the movie just comes from a title first, uh, which, you know, where's he to a Nazi hunter? I, I, that was a title that was bandied around the bonfire for, I'd say, at least a year, right? Before uh, at least several, honestly. Yeah. Probably three or four. I mean, that was that concept of a where Skeeto had been around for quite a long time. So when you get an idea and Mitch, you get the call. So first thing that goes through your head, my juices start running and my brain starts going and I just start sketching different design ideas. You know, Mim and I are texting each other back and forth. I'll send him pictures and say this, here's an idea. Here's kind of a first brush attempt at it. And he'll take a look at it and go, Oh, I like it or this, or let's try something in this direction or maybe the eyes bigger, this, that. And it just evolves a bit. And, and we, we kind of come to a, um, a design that we both like, and then I kind of run forward with it and we start making it. And in fact, the Wearskeeto is a perfect example of the back and forth that ends up working toward the final design. Because when we started working on it and, and I was, you know, writing the script and this was definitely, this is what we're doing next. We went back and forth on what it should look like. And I know Mitch wasn't really happy with the first 
sort of ideas that he was coming up with. Because I think originally it was more, it was much more just like a bug, much more like the fly, the 80s version, uh, where it was much more just like a man-sized mosquito. And Mitch was never happy with it. And we kind of went back and forth and just bounced ideas off each other. And, and finally, I think we hit upon something and it was, it was more Mitch than me. It was just like, maybe we need to put some more man in the mosquito why not do the wolfman thing where it's like he's not an actual wolf on all fours he's a wolf man so why don't we add a little more man in the mosquito so it's that halfway point between a mosquito and a man and that i think was the point when the light went on i should say the aha moment the light, the light yeah it was like aha yeah okay that's it right there and and that's when it it clicked and it happened and I, I think on the uh, DVD in the photo gallery, there there should be some pictures, or might, I don't remember, of, of some original, you know, early sculpts, early yep. cracks at it, where I was kind of getting some some forms down and trying to get a feel of what I wanted to do. And and there was some definitely more insect looking designs, one or two maybe. Then and then it kind of evolved into what we have today, which I think is one of the best designs of. To me, one of my absolute favorite monsters. It really is. Yeah, I mean, it's not just because it's like one of the most, you know, the probably most recent. I just think it's a fantastic design from from top to bottom uh, because it was exactly what we wanted it to be, or at least what I wanted it to be. Once we hit on that idea of putting the man back in the mosquito, it becomes something in and of itself. It becomes, I say iconic, at least to me, where it's like, yeah, this is this is a design that you you haven't seen this before. It, it stands out on its own as a very cool look and design and monster. And, and because of that, I feature it everywhere on, you know, the, the cover and, and just everything where it's like, no, this is the monster. This is, is cool. And the fact that he's also wearing a suit and tie, I just think makes him even cooler, <laughs> you know, because again, you put the man back in the monster. He retains his cognitive ability when he's turned into this monster. And that's part of the whole thing about him hunting the Nazis that created him uh, is that he also has all these sort of abilities by being the Weresquito. But again, you, you put some personality back into him and it. Right. He retains a a bit of humanity. Right. And he's able to, to, to do that. So, yeah. While simultaneously losing his humanity in the things he has to do. Exactly. See, that's good stuff. It is good stuff. <laughs> when it comes to your movies, Chris, my, my absolute hands down, pop it in for fun, have a good time with a movie, Mimiverse movie is the giant spider. I mean, it's just so much fun. However, I will say that Where's Keto Nazi Hunter, I feel like is the best in the best well-made film Yes, out of what you've done so far. And I think a big part of it has to do with the monster design. The Where's Keto... I want an action figure of that guy too. <laughs> I really do. And I hope that that mask still exists somewhere so that if you are ever at a convention, it's at the table the way that I saw the fiend in person at a monster bash a couple of years back. Perhaps when we're at the monster bash, you'll see it. Oh, I'm looking on it. I'll have the X, the fiend from beyond space, uh, the Wersquito Nazi hunter. I'm sure we'll have a moon zombie there. Yeah. Uh, it's a great design. And you talked about the shorthand that you use to describe the types of monsters that you're trying to put into the movies. Were there particular films that you used as, as keystones or touch points for Wersquito? I know for me it was, I mean, obviously the the fly, the original, the fly, sort of putting a bug's head on a man's body. <laughs> I know that was that was a big one. The strange thing about the Wersquito as a monster was that, and what actually appealed to me as a creator and, and whatever, is that the concept of the monster takes a lot of classic monsters and melds them into one. 
uh, because you have the the Frankenstein's monster because he was created. You have the the vampire thing because you know he must suck blood. You have the Wolfman sort of because he's he changes from human you know into this monster, but then he also has a touch of the fly because he's a bug man. I think kind of some of that. I know the Wolfman was definitely something that came up more than once. Yeah. Um, but but the fly and the wolfman, I think for me, were probably the two things I was thinking of the most. I don't want to spoil it either, uh, but there is more than just the worst keto. I mean, there's some yes. other surprises in here. And with this other thing that I'm going to dance around and not really identify because I don't want to ruin it for the listeners because you got to see the movie. I picked up on some Roger Corman in that. Was that something that I'm just reading into it or was that something intentional? I think that's just a vein that runs through my entire filmography. <laughs> sure. Probably with, you know, through osmosis, it, it's there in our brain and, and it just kind of makes its way into what we're doing. What has been the overall response to Where's Keto so far? I mean, it's the last movie that you did. It's been out for what, less than a year now at this point? Uh, September. What's been the response or reaction? How's it doing? It's doing pretty well. It sells itself. It really does. Honestly, I think the the cover design, uh, I mean, I'm just thinking from a pure marketing and sales standpoint, it kind of sells itself based on the title. Here's where Chris is putting on his William Castle hat. Right. Uh, I mean, some of, some of the films <laughs> I have sell themselves based on the title. The Giant Spider sells itself because I don't ever have to explain it to people. And if people really need to know what it's about, I usually give them a look. And I've had people honestly ask, and I usually make some sort of snarky comment. Where's Keto Nazi Hunter sells itself based solely on the title. The cover design is, I, I think, one of my my best designs. Just the 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 look of it. It's kind of one of those things, though, because a lot of uh, a lot of my films tend to be rather light in tone, and I intentionally went very very dark with Wereskito, uh, and I wanted to push that envelope a little bit. I wanted to, I wanted to do something a little heavier with the tone of the film, and so it shocked some people that they just weren't expecting that. And I know that some people that was not a turnoff, but it was just a shock. And so they, they're not sure what to make of it. But then the, the sort of the, the converse of that is that there are a lot of people who really, really like it because it is different and because it is darker. And I think it's a probably my best constructed movie plot wise. And I think we got some of the absolute best performances out of any film we've ever made uh, with uh, Douglas Sidney and Rachel Grubb uh, and uh, James Norgard, who who plays the evil Nazi doctor. It was different, and it was a stretch. And that's one of the things that we try to do with each movie is like, well, let's do something that's within our wheelhouse, but let's try something new. Let's do something different. Uh, how do we push ourselves to not just make the same monster movie every time? Where's Keto Nazi Hunter has been received well, and it does sell well. And yeah, that's the castle in me. But it, it definitely uh, has been interesting to see the reactions to it because I can never figure out or expect what people are going to do, honestly. If you had to pair Where's Hito Nazi Hunter with one other of your movies for like a double feature, what movie would it be? Oh, man. Mitch? I know, right? <laughs> I'm thinking uh, Where's Hito Nazi Hunter and... Maybe Moon Zombies. I, I don't know. Those two yeah, kind of yeah. might work oh, together. Moon Zombies. Oh, yeah. yeah okay. Work. I was recently at a convention, and we did a double feature of the Giant Spider and Where's Keto Nazi Hunter. And I told the crowd beforehand, I said, feel free to riff on these films. I'm cool with that. It's actually kind of fun to listen to people do it. Uh, and I just said, you know, be nice because I'm sitting in the back and keep it clean for the kids. And, you know, throughout Giant Spider, which is a very light, fun film, uh, throughout that, 
I mean, it was very what you would expect. It was funny and people were just laughing and having a good time. And where Skeeto Nazi Hunter comes on and for about the first 20 minutes, they're riffing and then it just kind of goes silent and people just watched. And there just were not a lot of jokes. And by the end, a lot of people came out and they're like, man, that's that movie is good. <laughs> but it really doesn't lend itself to the sort of riffing on it. I'm like, it, it doesn't. And that's kind of what we were going for. So the reactions are often good. Uh, I know the premiere, I'm, I'm so proud of this. At the premiere of Wereskito Nazi Hunter, there is a, a person who has been to several several of the premieres and is a big fan of the movies and as she was coming out and she didn't she wasn't aware that i heard this she turns to her her friend and says i don't know who's going to top that one <laughs> so i mean so oh wow so we got some of that where people were just kind of shocked i don't know we were kind of going for quality not that the, we don't make quality films but we were really trying to surprise people with what they were getting because we really wanted to, to do something heavier and more serious and dramatic and you know really try to make a quote-unquote good movie um, not that we don't try to make sure. good movies but we're like no, no let's let's see what we can do to to surprise some people and i think we pulled that off did you show where's hito to your kids well yeah they you know my <laughs> uh my my kids are, are are there for the entire process you know a lot of stuff we shoot we shoot my house uh, they help out a lot. Uh, in fact, we were just building a set tonight. And and so they're, they're kind of there. They see it as it comes together. And so they have seen it, but they saw it within the process of it. They were there when we were shooting it. So they know what to expect. If they weren't involved in that process, I know my older you know, kids, they'd be fine. But my youngest couple, I, I may have had some reservations about you know, letting them see it. But because they knew what it was and they were around it, their oldest brother is playing the monster and they're growing up in this really unique environment. I was okay with this. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just hoping they have really great stories as they grow up about the crazy stuff their dad used to do. (laughs) They're either going to be the best adjusted children ever or the most trauma, you know, one way or the other, you know? As far as where Skeeto Nazi Hunter goes, uh, I'm a big fan, like I said. And listeners, I think people need to check it out. Uh, you, you need to see it. And I was giggling a little bit earlier when, when Chris was talking, and that was because we got about 20, 25 minutes into this before Chris told us all that where Skeeto Nazi Hunter was dark, which is something that he said repeatedly <laughs> during <laughs> pre-production, production, and post-production on his various podcasts, kind of warning us all that this was going to be something different in I, the middle you know, and, and it really is. Completely shocked. I just... I didn't want people to just go into it thinking it was going to be like the others. Cause it's really not. So I was just, I wanted people, I wanted to at least play with their expectations a little and be like, okay, guys be prepared. This is right. Not the light hearted entertainment you're sort of used to from me. Uh, I'm pushing the envelope at least in my world. And there is a connection to previous Mimiverse films. I love that Chris, You've got a shared universe before Marvel and DC did it. I'm a shared universe hipster. I did it before anyone else. Right. Uh, well, not before anybody else. I mean, well, come before, on, universe on the you know, 40s, I'm just saying. But, yeah, you know what I mean. Uh, I mean, just yeah. now, because you know, hipsters are a thing. But I know Marvel took it from me. So I think they were inspired by you, Chris. They were. They're just like, man, this guy, we got to show him up. Because <laughs> I'm on the radar, I'm sure. I'm sure I'm on the oh, radar. Oh, I'm sure. But now I want to see the Wereskito in a superhero movie. I know. Wouldn't that be great? You know, someone did do a design for a sort of faux comic book cover of Where Skeeto Monster Hunter, 
sort of expanding on because Uh-oh. it's implied in the film Uh-oh. that it's implied in the film that this Nazi doctor created other monsters and he hunted all them down. Hey, hey, no spoilers. So I, I don't want to, I mean, I'm not going to give you the bit, yeah. but, but, uh, you know, there's room in there for sort of a prequel comic of, you know, where's Keto monster hunter. And when we had this, this an artist friend of mine drew a, a faux cover for it and it's, it's really cool. So maybe it's a thing. <laughs> you know, it's a shared universe, but it's not chronological. These movies uh, it jumps around. at the very beginning, they, they were, but yes. these movies do kind of jump around a little bit. Attack of the Moon Zombies is set in the far future of what, 1989? Uh, right. right. <laughs> something like that. Yes. Uh, Where's Keto Nazi Hunter is after World War II. So you're kind of all over the place here. And what I love is that you're able to explore different time periods and elements and areas of the Mimiverse. And that gives you the opportunity for some very unique connections. Has there ever been talk of doing a Mimiverse movie set in the era of the Mimiverse films in which Mitch was not involved to give him a chance to make a monster proper in one of those eras? There has been discussion, honestly, of, of jumping around a little bit. And realistically, you know, when we started the Monster Phantom Lake, uh, was supposed to be the beginning point, right? It was the first one and everything came after that. But technically, uh, you know, Where Skeeto Nazi Hunter actually takes place before the monster of Phantom Lake. So if you were to watch the films in in-universe chronological order, you actually start with Where Skeeto Nazi Hunter before you jump into the monster of Phantom Lake. So we've done that a little bit. I think what's fascinating is the idea of creating a film where you actually enter the world of some of these other movies that already exist, and put them at Phantom Lake, maybe have the monster there, have some sort of connection to that film of something that's going on perhaps at some other point, you know, to, I don't know, recreate some of the monsters. I mean, this is one thing we were talking about, and, and I think perhaps now is a chance to give uh, your, your listeners an exclusive on your podcast. What do you say? Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Derek, you may have seen this uh, on, on Facebook. I know Mitch did, and we've had discussions. Uh, and I like to put things out there because once I put them out there and people hear it, they tend to you know hold me to my word. Uh, I saw the, the recent Kong film, uh, which mm-hmm. I absolutely loved. Mm-hmm. And after I l- was walking out of the, in the parking lot, I was with Michael Kaiser, who plays all my monsters. Uh, and we we're talking about it. I said, man, it is time to do a, a Mimiverse Kaiju film. Right. Oh boy. We started discussing, well, what would that monster be? And I thought to myself, you know, I think instead of starting all over and trying to create something from scratch or trying to create my own sort of Gorgo or Godzilla clone, I thought, well, what if you took the bat from terror from beneath the earth? Yes. And the bat is actually just a baby in that film and is continually growing. And so now he's several, several stories tall. And this is exactly what you're talking about is making him our kaiju. And then, of course, he's got to you know, wreak destruction. They try to stop him and then he saves them and, you know, they come to an understanding. Right. <laughs> but and he, has, and I, he has to fight something else, too. That's right. is big. Right. And so we started talking. I started talking to Mitch. and I know he already was like. I was like, how can you expand it to make it into an adult, but also like a kaiju monster? And he uh, immediately, the wheels started turning of like, how do you take that super cheesy paper mache monster that I created and then let Mitch go to town on it and make it something so much more and so much better? That's the premise of that is the bat comes out of the cave and he's hungry. So what, ha- what do you do? 
And don't forget, he has like electrical powers in his hands. That's the other thing is that he has sort of an electrical oh, man. power. And so now you got <laughs> you got your your you know your fire breath power, you know, uh, where he can shoot lightning out of his hands or some something. I mean, it's there. The elements are there. I, I hate that this word has become so commonplace that it's kind of lost its meaning, but I'm going to use it right now. I literally have goosebumps. <laughs> literally. I would love oh, yeah. to see yeah. this. Oh, yeah. I mean, as a fan of the Mimiverse and as a creative guy, I'm always playing, what if this happened or that happened? And there are other fans of the Mimiverse who have done this. Stephen D. Sullivan with his mummy story that you read on your podcast, and now it's available as a book. What's the name of the book? It's the Canoe Cops versus the Mummy, available at Amazon in Kindle form or in printed form. And Steve's a friend of the show, a friend of the Mimiverse, good friend of all of us, of all of us oh, monster yeah, kids. Definitely. So you, you've got the ability to just kind of play in all these different areas and all these different things that you've got going on in the Mimiverse. I love that you've got these different organizations uh, that you can play with, the Canoe Cops. Uh, you've yes. got this scientific group with Dr. Gabriel and company. You can do certain things. Man, this is me now turning into the Mimiverse Appreciation Podcast. <laughs> uh, you know, I guess I love what you do. So here's what I want to do. I want to take a quick break. And then when we come back, I want to talk a little bit more about Demon with the Atomic Brain and maybe a couple of other things. You guys okay with that? Absolutely. Sounds good to me. Journey into double terror with the late night double feature with X, the fiend from beyond space, and the wall people. A crew of interstellar explorers must fight an unstoppable alien fiend from beyond space, hell bent on consuming them all. Will they survive? Can they survive? And on the same program, a man must fight to save his only child from the clutches of strange invaders who use their advanced technologies to steal sleeping children through their bedroom walls. Are your children safe? Two terrors to tear you apart in the late night double feature. How often has this happened to you? You're on your way home after a long day when suddenly tragedy strikes. No human mind could imagine the enormous destructive power of this maddened, killing thing. Yes, sir, there's a big lizard back there and he's heading this way. Now get aboard! It's the kind of thing which can ruin your weekend. To prevent catastrophe, you need the Handbook for Surviving a Giant Monster Attack. This book features extensively researched methods to help you survive a giant monster event. You'll discover which vehicle you should use for making your escape, which method of counterattack is best for specific types of monsters. Hydrogen weapons, capable of wiping cities, countries off the face of the earth, are completely ineffective against this creature from the skies. And what common mistakes people make while fighting back. So pick up your copy of The Handbook for Surviving a Giant Monster Attack by Anthony Wendell today on Amazon. You can thank us by surviving. The following announcement is a special bulletin, direct from American International. It may be too late. Our planet may be doomed. Armies have been alerted. The hotlines are in constant use. Civilization is in chaos. The monsters are in revolt. Now a direct report. This is Jay Webb in New York. Godzilla is laying waste to the city. The citizens have never known such fear. At the same time, Rodan is attacking Moscow. The city is alert for military action. In London, Manda is spreading horror in its path. And in the Far East, Peking trembles under the wrath of Mothra. We must destroy all monsters. Yes, destroy all monsters, or our civilization will be destroyed. Destroy all monsters is a motion picture. See for yourself. 
It really could happen. Destroy all monsters in color from American International is rated G for general audiences. From outer space, they came. With a dastardly plan to steal the minds of the youth. Only one person stands in their way in... Danny Johnson saves the world. Break listeners, we were just talking about Mexican monster movies. It came up because uh, I do contribute a segment to your podcast, Chris. You, you, there are two Mimiverse podcasts the Mimiverse Spotify yes. podcast, and then what you do. What do you call your show? The Mimiverse Monthly Audiocast. So I've been contributing a segment to that called The Creature Connection, kind of inspired by something I used to do in the Monster Kid Radio e-newsletter, where I, I, I state that basically the creature from the Black Lagoon is the Kevin Bacon of classic monsterdom. And <laughs> I opened it up to challenges. In the in the first segment, uh, we had Dr. Gangrene, horror host, been on the show, friend of Monster Kid Radio. He challenged me to uh, bring Invasion of the Saucermen to Creature from the Black Lagoon, and I think I handled that okay. But then Chris sends me a message. We were just talking about it now. He's challenged me. You want to tell us what you challenged me with? Yeah, my challenge is to link it to Ship of Monsters, Ooh. which I think is, is is a heck of a challenge. I really do. I'm looking forward to diving into that. I'll figure out a way. I'll find a way. You'll make it happen. Oh, man. And it's a Mexican monster movie. And, you know, I'm looking at pictures right now on the internet because I'm you know online doing this interview with these guys. I'm looking at pictures of Ship of Monsters. Mitch, were you aware of these movies growing up? Because I'm starting to see some potential influence in what you do. I guess peripherally, I knew they were out there. I didn't think I really haven't had the chance to see them until recently. Uh, so I'm, I'm catching up. I'm making up for lost time. But I, yeah, I love those designs. They're fun. They, they are just brilliant. This thing <laughs> with the exposed brain and the big eyes. Wow. <laughs> yep. You know, along those lines, actually, and then we'll get back to what I want to talk about. But along those lines, are there any classic monsters out there, whether they're Mexican monster movies or Roger Corman, or even Universal, that you'd like a crack at recreating? There's a couple. I, I want to do the Horror of Party Beach, those uh, sea monsters. I wanted to make a mask of one of those. And uh, I've been collecting data on the invasion of the saucermen. I love those Paul Blaisdell heads. And I, I really would not mind having a mask of the, one of those masks on my shelf. We'll see if I can ever get free enough to do one of those. Along those same lines, Chris, if you had the opportunity to pull one of these monsters from one of these movies and put them in the Mimiverse, which one would it be? Of any monster, of any classic film? Yeah. You know, probably the Metal Luna Mutant, honestly. Yeah. I mean, just that that design is, it's just so cool. It's the coolest looking classic monster that I can think it, of. And I, you a, know, I tell people I'm, I'm much more of a sci-fi guy and, and that one just appeals to me on so many levels. Right on. Well, you know, listeners, one thing we do with our guests whenever we have them on the show is play a game that we call the Classic Five. And Mitch has played it. And Chris, I think you've played it with us as well. I've got a new deck. I've got 
a second deck nice. with all new questions. So any repeat guest who's already played it once, they get to play it again. You guys want to play the Classic Five? Let's do it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Deck two. You ready? All right, here we go. Let me give it a good shuffle. Okay, again, for listeners who don't know what the Classic Five is, these are yes or no, this or that style questions having to do with classic monster movies. There are no wrong answers. Here we go. Card number one, question number one. What is your favorite Harryhausen creation? We'll start with Mitch. Okay, I'm going to say the, the uh, Seventh Voyage of Sinbad Cyclops. Okay. See, uh, that's a hard question to answer. <laughs> like, as soon as I heard it, my eyes were like, oh, heck no. Um, <laughs> it has to be the uh, six-armed octopus. Because <laughs> just every, every sequence with that is so cool. There's just something about it. Destroying the bridge and just everything about that is great. And I'd say, see, and this is me. I can't just pick one. I love the Earth versus the Flying Saucer stuff. Okay. Man, that's hard. I, I don't know. <laughs> yes. The answer is yes. Okay. Fair <laughs> enough. <laughs> Card number two. Colin Clive or Peter Cushing? We'll do Mitch again here. Uh, I got to go with Peter Cushing. I'm going, okay. with, I'm going with Peter Cushing too. Uh, no love for Clive or just like Cushing better? He's Peter Cushing. I mean... <laughs> That's true. Yeah, yeah. We're on team Cushing around here, so I totally get it. <laughs> I was just playing devil's advocate there for a second. I like Colin Clive quite a bit, but team Cushing all the way, man. What he said. <laughs> right. Yes. Card number three, and, and we'll start with Chris on the response for this one. Ooh, okay. We've seen Mechagodzilla and Mechanicong. What other giant monsters should have a robotic counterpart? Hmm. That is a fantastic question. That is a tough one. We're not like a, like a, like a Mecha Rodan. Yeah, you know Rodan's one of my favorites. I was not aware. I would never bring up something to curry favor with the host of this show. Well, I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think I think that'd be cool. That would work. That would work for me okay. anyway. Mecha Tarantula. Oh wow. That would be creepy. <laughs> <laughs> would it be Mecha Tarantula versus Tarantula? Could be. <laughs> giant spider versus mechanical giant spider. Arachnobot. Ragnabot. All right, card number four. Count Dracula or Armand Tesla from The Return of the Vampire? Mm. Both played by Bela Lugosi. And, and either one of you can go first, huh? You guys can fight it out. <laughs> <laughs> I'll go Dracula. Okay. Yeah, I think I think I will too, honestly. I, yeah. Yes. What sweet music they make. You, mm. can't, you can't go wrong with that. That's true. <laughs> it's got some of the better lines in that one. Yes. All right, final card, final question. Favorite John Carradine role? Uh, Mitch? <laughs> I, I, I got one that just popped in my head. Uh, recently, we were watching some uh, night galleries. There's a cool little story. I forget what it's called, but he tells these kids to go dig up something, and they dig something up. And he's the, he's kind of the star of that, that episode. It really stuck with me as a kid. It freaked me out. And to this day, whenever somebody says John Carradine, I think of that episode. So I'm going to go with that. Hmm. And I forget what episode that's called. I think it's called The Big Surprise. Big Surprise, yes. Yeah. I love Night Gallery, too. So so now Mitch is carrying in favor. (laughs) We we did all uh, all our our research before we we did this. Homework. See, I'm not not sure. He was in the, uh, The Twilight Zone. Yes. What was the episode? The Howling Man, right? He was, which yep. is a fantastic episode. It's, uh, yeah. It feels a lot like a universal movie, actually, just yeah, a right. shorter, yeah. condensed version. So, so does that work? Can I go with that? Of, of course you can. Because I absolutely love The Twilight Zone. So I'm just like, I'm thinking, I'm like, God, he was in that. 
Yeah, I was just going there too. <laughs> yeah, last year I was invited to be a guest on the My Life in the Shadow of the Twilight Zone podcast to talk about the Howling Man. So, nice. I, yeah, it's fresh in my memory still, uh, that, which is a great little episode. Really, really good. That is a classic. That is a, a great episode. Yeah, definitely a great episode. All right. So, that was the classic five round two. How do you guys feel? Yeah, like I've been hit by a truck, but I'm cool. <laughs> Okay. refreshed and ready to go another round. <laughs> okay. Oh, really? Okay. I'll keep you in mind when I get deck three put together. There you go. All right. Good, good. <laughs> the new movie, Demon with the Atomic Brain. We talked a little bit about that earlier. What came first, the idea for the story or the title? This one was the idea first. And in fact, you know, I like to announce my new titles on Halloween. The uh, last couple of years we've done that. Every Halloween I'll do something for Halloween, something special. In the past, when we would release our films in the spring, usually it was like an edited scene, like a teaser for the film to get people excited. Uh, since we shifted the release dates into the fall now, the last couple films I used as a springboard to announce what we were doing next. We always go back and forth on what should we do next. And everyone knows I usually have a hunt, like 50 ideas before we actually get down to it. Mitch in particular, but some of the other folks who always help out never believe me until they see the script. Am I right, Mitch? <laughs> or I announce it. I've, or I've sat on a few designs, not getting anything started yet until, okay, now we're going to do that. Then I'll get going. Some, sometimes right. I just got to sit back and just wait for the announcement. Yeah, you got to kind of wait for the new idea to congeal into a story. And yes, that's what I'm doing. And I'll either start writing it or at least if I announce it publicly, generally... 95% of the time, that's what it's going to be. So you're safe in, in starting on a design or, or whatever. So in, on Halloween, you know, we were going to announce what the new movie was, but it was kind of getting late in deciding what it was that we were going to do for the next film because I had several ideas and I didn't know which one was appealing to me. Now, the, the premise of this film, the sort of fractured time and the alternate realities and having to work your way through them, you know, fight your way through them to get to wherever you need to be, uh, has been an idea I've had for many years. And it's been kind of on the back burner. It's never one I've brought up a lot. It's just something I thought would be cool, but I just never had pursued. And I think it just hit me kind of late in the game that, you know, I want to do this. And I started thinking about the arc of the story and realized I figured out what I wanted to do. And then it was like, I started getting really excited about it. The problem was, is I didn't have a title at all. And I even started writing a, a teaser that we could film in time to get out for Halloween so that it wouldn't just be like, oh, here's the new movie. It would be not only is this a new movie, but here's some footage from it, you know, just to get people just like, holy crap, we're hitting the ground running. But we didn't have a title. And probably, I don't know, a couple weeks before Halloween, Mitch and I were just frantically texting back and forth. Oh, man. Trying to come up with a title. And it was kind of crazy. There's got to be uh, 75 different permutations of, of, of this title. Yeah. And, and, and nothing, nothing was really hitting us. It very, very slowly came together. I mean, there's obviously a lot of different references just in the title that we came up with. But yeah, we went back and forth a lot just trying to figure out oh, what would it be? What can we use? I mean, and, and like a word would be thrown like demon. It's like, oh, I like that. But I don't like how we're using it. How do we use that better? What can we do? I liked the, the word brain for some reason. I was just like, I want, I want to use the word brain. And, and we just went back and forth for, I think, a couple of days, honestly, where it was like one day we talked about it and nothing came out of it, talked again the next day. And finally, 
got it down and I was working a vendor table at a convention. And so it was just like hectic. And finally we hit on it. It was like, there, that's it. But the premise came first and, and we'd already sort of started sketching out and getting ready to film stuff for that teaser, you know, and then finally we had a title. In fact, I think we were at a Crypticon, the last year's Crypticon here in Minneapolis, sitting there deciding, okay, what do we do you want to film or what do you want me to build for the film? We had some right. ideas and then we went to a different direction and, and I think we got something kind of, kind of neat for the teaser. Well, it's a great title. It instantly evokes that 50 science fiction monster movie, creature with the atom brain, the atomic brain. I mean, this the idea of an atomic brain or just that word. Atomic. Yeah, right. atomic. And then you said brain, brain from planet Eris. You know, you've got all these wonderful words put together to evoke a feeling. We talked earlier about there being a shorthand of monster movies that you guys use when trying to come up with some of these designs and creatures for the films. What movies would you recommend listeners or viewers check out to kind of get in the same headspace as you guys might have been in when you were creating The Demon with the Atomic Brain? Here's the thing. I'm not entirely sure. There is a bit of an episodic nature to the script because they are going through different alternate realities. And each one is very distinctly different. So one will feel very different from another. And the look and feel and even the hair and makeup and the costumes and, and from one to the next is distinctly different. The environment was purposely done in such a way that you know you're in a different place. It, you know, it's not like you just enter a place and suddenly, you know, all the women have mustaches or something. You know, it wasn't as simple as that. Um, well, that's a relief. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's just like one reality is very dark. Another one is outside, but it's in the winter. Another one is inside, but it's in like a cave, uh, which we pulled that out again, which... I don't know yes. why we did that. It was it was very uh, <laughs> stressful, but we did it. You know, another one is outside again, but it's it's summer. Every reality is distinctly different. So there is really um, no one movie that I can necessarily think of to recommend for this. I suppose maybe The Phantom Planet. There are parts of that in there. The say that kind of popped up, I think, at one point was Star Trek. It was almost like an away team going through different episodes. Yeah. We had mentioned that, I think, in passing, but... Yeah, the, I mean, classic Star Trek is definitely plays in there heavily. But even then, with Phantom Planet, I, to me, I always kind of felt very Star Trekian, beyond the time barrier, perhaps. Okay, that's another one. But that's the thing too: is that each reality too has its own feel, and we play around a little bit with types of movies where you have one that's that's more straightforward monster movie. There's one scene we did recently that felt much more like a horror movie that. I really like and another that's just more straight sci-fi and one that's actually kind of psychedelic. We haven't filmed yet. Oh, the ult- <laughs> yeah. There's some stuff that it's like a little bit. One of the things that uh, I feel like now that we're in the second decade of the films here is that early on, I felt like I would have a list and I still have it of sort of tropes. I hadn't done yet. You know, a giant bug movie, perhaps a haunted house movie, uh, you know, a castle esque haunted house movie or whatever, what have you. And, I think the last two or three films, and this one's included, I feel like for me as, as a writer, I've been trying to maybe do a little more original material, I guess. Not that the other stuff isn't original. It's all original, but trying to come up with maybe some of my own concepts to expand beyond 
just doing okay we got to do this kind of movie this kind of movie this kind of movie uh and this one i think is the biggest example of me just trying to do something different and new in taking a concept for something that to me could easily be done in this day and age with a big budget and make it a very modern science fiction movie or tv show or something but putting it in the era of the late 50s early 60s drive-in cinema era to me that that appealed that was that was something that i was like you know this might be kind of fun to sort of make what is more or less more of a, a modern concept and throw it back to that era uh, and try and do something a little more wholly original compared to you know my giant spider movie which is is great i mean i very much encourage people to see the giant spider but that one was based on the idea of we got to do a giant bug movie we got to do this uh, this one, I think, to me, feels maybe a little more personal in that way, in that I just, I love science fiction, and I wanted to make a, a quality science fiction film that's a little more uh, on the original side. But, of course, it's still very much influenced by the classic films of that, that era. When I asked you what movies you'd recommend, you mentioned two films from the 60s. Uh, Mitch brought up that you guys had talked about Star Trek, which is from the 60s. Right. When you first started, it felt more like you were securely right there in the 50s. Boom, that's where you were. Has this been an intentional or, or growth in the Mimiverse to try to maybe take it forward a few years? I think it's there. And uh, in fact, Rachel Grubb, who's uh, an actress who appears in several of my early films, but then also was the female lead in Where Skeeter Nazi Hunter, was saying that she felt that there was a distinct shift toward my, as she called it, my 60s phase. <laughs> <laughs> with Wereskito, I mean, we pushed the envelope a little bit beyond what might have been a little acceptable uh, in the, say, 1953, but in 1963, not so much. Trying to push forward a little bit in some of that. You know, I don't know if I'm going to go full on like uh, Jack Nicholson psych out or anything like that and just go full on Valley of the Dolls kind of thing here, but I'm not in my Russ Meyer phase yet. Let's just say that. I don't know that that's coming, honestly. I like the idea of playing around a little bit. <laughs> a Russ Meyer film with the Canoe Girls. You know, just, you know. <laughs> the Paddle Girls. <laughs> the Paddle Girls, that's right, yeah. <laughs> they don't just paddle in the water. Anyway, go ahead. That's, um, that's right. <laughs> uh, I think we do at some point have to do like a green slime-esque kind of thing. I think there is a bit of a deliberate push forward in that. I don't know that, uh, you know, if we'll keep that going to where I'll actually hit my, you know, 70s grindhouse phase or anything like that, but... Who knows? I mean, 10 years from now, who knows where I'll be and what I'll be making and doing. Just know I will be there ready to do what you need. <laughs> <laughs> Especially once I hit the Russ Meyer phase, right? Sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just then. That's what I was going to ask, Mitch, is if you would like to also maybe do a little bit more in the 60s. Because in the 60s, you not only do you have the prosthetics and the masks, but where Skeeto had some blood, which you yeah. didn't see in early or mid-50s science fiction horror monster movies right is, is that something that you'd be comfortable doing as well you know mixing up some fake blood to put on set that sort of thing oh sure yeah and, and back in the day when i was growing up watching tom savini films that's what i kind of replicated did a lot of that uh the gore stuff cut my teeth on that a bit so monsters and that one of the two were always occurring in my bedroom so <laughs> I terrified many parents, put it that way, back back in the day. <laughs> With going into the 60s, does that mean that we will eventually get a surf beach party movie? I will say it right here now. Yes, we will. Yes. With songs. 
with songs. We have we have discussed this quite a bit over the years of of doing a, a movie that is the actual story is like thirty five minutes of actual story, and the rest is oh, just yeah. music and dancing. Which would be true to the inspiration, the source material. That's all those things were. Which I love. I love the surf movies. I I, I really enjoy Beach Party and all those other ones. I, I don't know what that is, but I, I dig them. But no, you're right. It's like 20 minutes of story and the rest is just numbers. Right. And what I find extra funny, too, is being in Minnesota and doing, you know, obviously just it's a (laughs) lake beach party that it just seems kind of ridiculous because no one thinks of Minnesota as a a beach place. But there is a lot of lakefront property around here and beaches and nice lakes to swim in and stuff. So it would work out. But we have definitely talked about it. And I may or may not have basically a mental outline of exactly how the script would go. Uh, it's just, it's definitely, it is absolutely something that we are going to do at some point. And, and I think we'd be able to lay claim to the first Midwestern beach movie. Yeah, I think we would. I don't think it's ever been done before, so. No, so why not? Breaking new ground in the Mimiverse with a beach right. party <laughs> monster movie. Yes. Yeah, I think, uh. It'd just be another thing that I can add to my, you know, list of weird accomplishments, like being the uh, most prolific Esperanto filmmaker in the world, but also holding the distinction of being the first person ever to release a film with an Esperanto soundtrack in 3D. That's right. (laughs) That's right. No, because Monster from Phantom Lake. You re-released in 3D, and it's got that Esperanto soundtrack on there. Yes. Is that something that's going to continue? I know like the last one did not have an Esperanto soundtrack. Uh, this one will. Uh, I, have, okay. I have talked okay. to those guys. They're back on board. Part of the reason, too, that they didn't for Where Skeeter and Nazi Hunter was just because they're busy people, and they do this for fun, uh, and they'd already done the Monster Phantom Lake, and, and I think a lot of them were like, I can only manage doing one a year. And so doing the monster family lake and then trying to release where Skeeto, you know, six months later was just too much. Uh, and so they kind of sat that one out, but they're absolutely hard at work on, on Dean with the atomic brain. So I really genuinely hope that it works out because, you know, I've tried to learn to speak Esperanto, but there's just some sort of mental block, uh, in trying to learn languages for me that I, I just can't do it. But a lot of people see that, 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 that they're available in Esperanto and it's amazing the reactions sometimes you get of people just being so excited <laughs> that it's available in Esperanto. For listeners who don't know, Esperanto is basically a made-up language, yes. but it's it's a real language. It's more in-depth than, say, like the created languages for Star Trek, like Klingon, which also is a real language, but Esperanto has been around for years. Right. Uh, Ackerman was a proponent yep. of yep. Esperanto, which is probably why you decided to go the route of including Esperanto in your movies, I'm guessing. That is absolutely um, one of the biggest deciding factors in putting Esperanto originally into the first movie we did. It was Attack of the Moon Zombies. It takes place on an international moon base in the 70s as seen from a 50s lens. So we thought... As a, as a nice little nod, specifically to Forrest J. Ackerman, was all the signage would be in English and Esperanto, because it's an international moon base, and it's the language of peace, right? And so we did that, and then it, it kind of took on a life of its own. I know that when we screened The Giant Spider here a couple of years ago at the Joy Cinema, uh, I was selling a couple copies of the movie afterwards. People were really excited when they found out, there's an Esperanto sound? That, I, I gotta buy this thing. So, <laughs> hey, you know what? Selling point. I You know... It has. In fact, recently I just got a random email from a guy who just said, which of your DVDs has the Esperanto soundtrack? And I gave him the the list and he's like, great. 20 minutes later, he bought them all. So, I mean, it does work. Wow. It does work as a selling point more often than 
than you would think, honestly. Uh, and it has also helped us to gain uh, a larger international audience because Esperanto is a worldwide language. It has thousands and thousands, if not millions of speakers across the world. And the community of Esperantists is very tight-knit and very enthusiastic. They're very much hungering for Esperanto language content. It very much has become a, a big part of the Mimiverse that I put these things out. I, it's like, I kind of don't have to, but I really enjoy doing it. And I'm very proud of this. Uh, recently, uh, about a year ago, there was the biggest Esperanto language organization in the United States put out a list of the top 10 reasons why you should learn Esperanto. And Christopher R. Mim movies was like number seven. <laughs> wow. So, I mean, it's... That's fantastic. Yeah, so, I mean, apparently, ah! I've at least, I've, it's at least caught on enough that it's 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 a thing <laughs> that's amazing my friend congratulations <laughs> it's just like i said so it's it'd just be another another strange thing of being the first filmmaker to make a minnesota midwestern beach party movie why not Let's in esperanto in esperanto <laughs> <laughs> well with all the surf music that i use to open and close the show I, I could probably put you in contact with a handful of surf bands who might be interested in being involved can't speak for them yet but you know we should well, talk I was going to talk to you, so... Uh, oh, definitely. Yeah. Well, Demon of the Atomic Brain, that one's coming as of this recording. It's in production now. Do we have a release date set? I know it's kind of hard when you're still shooting. Well, usually what we, we like to say is that uh, should everything happen the way it's scheduled right now? Should all of our shoots come together? Uh, and so far, we are on schedule. Ideally, we will be releasing the movie at the end of September, early October. Things can happen, who knows, but everything is going really well and we're, we're doing great. Uh, knock on wood. That's what we're looking at. That's what we're shooting for. The process we have going works for us, and and it should work out. I can't give any exact dates yet, but uh, that's when I'm looking for it. And then hopefully on Halloween, we'll talk about whatever's next. Is it too early to say what's next? Are, are there solid plans or just lots of late night texting sessions <laughs> i mean honestly that's that's part of it is and that's the joke about how you know when we get down to it once this one's done and it's off of the manufacturers and we're waiting for the premiere that's when i really start seriously thinking about okay what do we do next and it's usually three to 12 different ideas before finally settling upon one and even in your show we've already talked about three or four different ones maybe it's the beach party movie uh maybe it is the kaiju movie we we have many solid ideas and who knows? Maybe it'll be something out of left field like Demon with the Atomic Brain was, where no one was expecting me to say that's what we're doing next. Because we had talked about several other concepts and ideas, some of which were further along in, in their gestation. Uh, but it was like, no, 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 this is what we're doing. I, I got a good feeling about this. I have a really great idea. So it is too early, but at least we've thrown stuff out there to get people excited for what may be coming within the next five to 20 years. Right on. Well, I can't wait to see what happens next with the Mimiverse. I'm really looking forward to Demon of the Atomic Brain. The title alone has me interested. And the little teaser that you posted, I mean, it's got a personal connection to me because, well, you named one of the characters after me. So that makes me happy. I did. I, did. I in fact, did. And, of course, um, he gets killed off. But, hey. Well, you know. I'll start somewhere. It's, it's nothing personal. I mean, that's pretty cool, right? You, you got Your namesake was, was killed off in, in one of my films. And at some point, uh, and I'm saying this so that people hold me to it, you're going to be in one of these films. You have to be. Even if you're just uh, like a, a, a newscaster and we just throw you on a TV somewhere, 
you, my friend, are going to be in one of these dang movies. Hey, I've had my, I've lent my voice to your uh, efforts already. I'd be happy to throw my face in the mix, which sounds odd uh, <laughs> when you say it out loud. <laughs> but yeah, I would love to do it. I used to act in high school. You know, I, I used to, to do, I'd flex those muscles again. Why not? You've got some chops, I'm sure. Yeah. And you've seen my films. You don't necessarily have to know how to act. I don't know. Compared to some of the people you've got, I would not do well at all because you typically cast a good crew. You know, one of my absolute favorite actors uh, is this guy that, um, what was the character's name? Heinrich. He was pretty cool. Whoever played him was pretty awesome. So. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm talking about you, Mitch. You see my acting. Uh, you, 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 I'm sure Mitch you're can, way better. I had no idea that was you. Well, even his wife didn't know it was him. <laughs> That's not that's not even a joke. Tell the story, Mitch. Seriously. We're sitting there at the premiere and it's the movie's going and the scene happens. And like a few minutes later, also my wife elbows me and goes, Oh my god, that was you. I didn't recognize you. I said, Well, thank you, I guess. <laughs> Mitch can scowl angrily with the best of them. Oh man, it was creepy. You were so creepy. I did not want anything to do with you. Shram was creepy. Okay, Shram, evil mastermind. You don't want to mess with him. He's gonna do terrible, terrible things to you, little piggy. But Heinrich, he's the muscle, and I don't. Yeah, I'm his bodyguard. I don't want anything so. to do with Heinrich. Yeah, see, that's this. Yeah, you look like he could uh, more than take care of things if needed. Well, thank you. <laughs> that was fun to do. It, it was and, the and guess, it was the scar. It was the scar. Yeah, there was a scar there. Yeah, and I and I gotta say, you know, I'm not gonna give away any any plot point, but there was a plot point that I was happy to be a part of. That that really made my day to film. So that's all I'll say. And, and right on. that plot point was, uh, as far as I'm concerned, one of the best kept secret we've ever had. Yes. We guarded that with our lives. Uh, we did not want anyone to know what was coming and, and we're just not giving anything away, but there was just something that we were super excited to be able to make work. We, we were really happy with how that came together and we all were, everyone, everyone towed the line and we, we made it work. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and even at the premiere, when, you know, when the scene was coming up, I sat there and my heart was beating so hard and I was just, you know, I wanted to see how the, how the audience was going to receive it. And when it, you know, when it happened, a lot of people in the crowd just lost their, their, you know, what, so to speak, they just, the clapping, the applauding, the, you know, it just, and it was just like, yep, that we got it. It did. It, you know, it was perfect. Audible gasps. Yes. Yes. Throughout the auditorium. (laughs) Well, I don't know if you could hear it from all the way out here in the Portland, Oregon area, but you got one out of me when I put the DVD in and I watched it and that happened. Right on. I was like, Excellent. wow, this, this, mm, this is it. This is the stuff right here. They got, yeah, I'm getting the goosebumps again. <laughs> and, and, and that's the funny thing though. The funny thing it. is that, is that when it happens and when you see it, you're like, oh yeah, that was pretty obvious. Why didn't I think that? Why, you know, why, why would I have not thought, yes, that would happen. But thinking about it you, you just you don't see it coming and then it happens and yeah okay cool very cool i remember when you told me that scene i just went oh i you know i gasped <laughs> i got goosebumps i i mean oh yeah we got to do that that's got to happen it's, it's pretty amazing well and it yeah. just came together and actually yeah. we made a point that was the one of the absolute first things we filmed yeah i want that in the can before yeah. anybody spills anything or or we you know lose our chance to do it I want that right away. It was the oh, second day we filmed. And it was basically just the, it was me, you, Michael and, uh, Jim and the other person. And we filmed the scene and, and that was it. I know it was, it was really fast. It was like, Oh, great. Yeah. Cool. 
Uh, it was Friday night. We did it on a Friday night for a couple hours, and that was it. I, I, that was one of those things. It was like, we're doing that first. If we haven't whetted your appetite enough to check out Where's Keto Nazi Hunter, you're just not listening well enough because I, there's so much. <laughs> it's on you is, I guess, what I'm saying. If you haven't bought it yet or if you're not buying it yet, Where'sKeto.com, probably the easiest way to get there, the easiest URL, and probably one of the best URLs ever, Where'sKeto, come on, <laughs> .com, or just go to SaintEuphoria.com, go to the films section or the merchandise section, and you can buy this movie and any other film in the Mimiverse catalog and the musical. If you don't know how to spell Saint Euphoria, right? Or you can't even figure out how to spell Wearskeeto because it's a made up word. Go to thegiantspider.com. It'll get you where you need to go. That'll work. That'll work. I'll make sure there's a link in the show notes, of course. Actually, I think there's a link to St. Euphoria in the permalinks section of the website. You're, you're always there front and center, so people can find you through Monster Kid Radio. If you buy a movie, let them know that you heard about it here on Monster Kid Radio because, you know, let's share the love and let people know that we're supporting the Mimiverse. We love what you do. I say we, it's me. I love what you guys <laughs> do, and I, and I love... But you know. see, that's the castle, that's the William Castle uh-huh. you. It's we, it's a big organization. We all love it. No, I, I absolutely adore the films, and I can't wait to see the next one, and the one after that, and the, and the one after that. I know they're still in production. I wish them the absolute best. I cannot wait to see Demon with the Atomic Brain. SaintEuphoria.com is where you're going to want to go to find everything you need to know about the Mimiverse. If that's too hard to spell, like Chris has said in the past, TheGiantSpider.com will take you there as well. He's got a separate URL for each one of the movies, but The Giant Spider is probably the easiest to spell. Go check it out. You can still contribute to the production of Demon with the Atomic Brain. And when you contribute, You get a copy of the movie. You get your name in the credits. You get a really cool certificate saying that you supported the film and helped to make it possible. And since Chris and Mitch are going to be at the upcoming Monster Bash, well, if you're there, make it a point to stop by their table. Check out what toys they've brought along with them and let them know that you heard them here on Monster Kid Radio. Listen to the flight of the vampire bats summoned from Hades to kill, to destroy. See Kiss of the Vampire in color. Thank you. I've been standing there for centuries. <laughs> yes, I suppose it seemed... Why, it's raining, but you're not wet. No, I'm not, am I? Uh, where are you coming from? I was watching a wonderfully terrifying double feature movie. I was a teenage Frankenstein in Blood of Dracula. Oh? Professor Frankenstein created a teenage monster to bring havoc and terror to all who meet him. But he left a few parts out, particularly in the poor lad's face. Uh, may we change the And the, the vampire in Blood of Dracula, quite unfriendly except when hungry, than any friend will do for a few ghastly moments. Please, I... Oh, here's where I must leave you. But there's nothing here but an old cemetery. Yes, I know. I want to meet some old friends here. After you see I was a teenage Frankenstein in Blood of Dracula, you might drop back here. We'll discuss the pictures to some length. <laughs> yes, yes, I'll do that! <laughs> this is Jackie Ray Naaman Jones. I play Debbie in Monos, The Hands of Fate, and you're listening to Monster Kid Radio. Well, that brings us to the end of this episode of Monster Kid Radio. I want to thank everybody for hanging out with me for an hour or so as I talked monster movies with Chris and Mitch. Had a really good time chatting with them. I hope you had a good time 
listening to them. Even though this episode of Monster Kid Radio is coming to a close, it doesn't mean that you're going to be without Monster Kid Radio until next time because we're online. MonsterKidRadio.net is where you're going to find everything that you need to know about the show between episodes. There's links to our Facebook page and our Facebook group. You can find our contact information over there. Our email address is MonsterKidRadio at gmail.com. And our voicemail line is 503-479-5MKR. That's 503-479-5657. You can also find a link to our Patreon page where you can become a patron of Monster Kid Radio and help support the show monthly with just a little bit of scratch. And you know, if you support the show at the Toho reward level or higher, we consider you one of our executive producers. And once a month, we go through a special thanks roll call like we're going to do right now. This is for last month. I'd like to give a special thanks to executive producers Mitch Gonzalez, George McGowan, Thomas Prasard, Tom and Eileen, Terry Mount, Jonathan Angarella, Tracy and Scott Morris, Joseph Perry, Jeremy Lamastus, Jeffrey Owens, Charles Babbage, Frank Schildener, Richard Chamberlain, and John Kilgallen. By supporting Monster Kid Radio through Patreon, by becoming a patron, you help us pay for things like our hosting fees, our URL, and a handful of other little bits and pieces here that we need to make Monster Kid Radio work. If you'd like to join the 25 patrons of Monster Kid Radio, well, head over to patreon.com slash monsterkidradio, or again, follow the link over there at monsterkidradio.net. Now, next week on Monster Kid Radio, remember a while back my hard drive crashed and I lost a whole bunch of audio and a number of other bits and pieces here? Well, we've got one more recording that has been recovered from that hard drive that we're going to be using for next week's episode. We've got Jeff Owens coming to the show. He's a fellow podcaster being one of the guys behind the Classic Horrors Club podcast. He's the man behind the website Classic Horrors Club, which you can get to at classichorrors.club. And he's also a big fan of 1940s The Invisible Man Returns. Fear. Fear of the unknown, the unseen grips the populace. As a human being made invisible and insane by a potent drug, preys on the citizenry, intent on vengeance. Prison walls cannot hold him. Scotland Yard cannot stop him. And while science works frantically, while a loved one waits and hopes, the invisible hands of a condemned murderer Deal out death and destruction. Spectre. I don't understand. Jeffrey, he's invisible. Why can't I see him? Oh, he's here, is he? Catch him, Spectre. He wants to kill me. Hey, you can't go upstairs. Oh, good man. I can do. Don't be afraid, darling. I can leave any moment I like. Take care of yourself, darling. I'll be all right. Helen, don't look at me like that. Jeffrey, he didn't kill Michael. Oh, didn't he? That shows how little you know, dear old Richard. No, 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 no! I'm super excited that I finally am going to be able to bring that audio to the show. That recording with him was actually recorded months ago. 
He's since launched the podcast and has like three or four podcast episodes of his own under his belt. Again, that's the Classic Horrors Club podcast. And we're going to talk about that next week when we have him here on Monster Kid Radio. Between now and then, remember that Monster Kid Radio is a registered service mark of Monster Kid Radio LLC. All original content of Monster Kid Radio by Monster Kid Radio LLC is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives. unported license. Of course, it doesn't apply to the song It Came From Beyond the Moon. That comes from WJLP from the album WJLP is Out of This World. It just came out. You can pick up the album over at WJLP.bandcamp.com for £5, 14 tracks. Go check it out and let them know that you heard about them here on Monster Kid Radio. My name is Derek M. Cook. Ciao.